Please take your seats and turn in the Lord's Word once again this morning to 1 Peter. This time we come to the final chapter, chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll begin reading verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Let's hear the infallible Word of God. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, Ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And the Lord will add his own blessing to that reading from his word for his name's sake. Please bow with me for a moment. Let's ask God for help. Let's all pray. Gracious God, thou art the helper of the helpless. Thou art the one who is called thyself Elohim. Thou hast called thyself El Shaddai. We believe thou art the mighty God. And thou art all sufficient, well able to meet the deepest needs of thy people this day. There's no problem, Lord, with thee at all. Never has been and never will be. And we thank thee and rejoice in the fact that whatever problems there may be with us, thou alone art the great problem solver. So come, Lord, this morning and give to thy servant an unction from thine own hand that will enable him to preach the truth in the spirit of grace. And may thy people receive this engrafted word with meekness. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. And amen. As we do come to this last chapter of Peter's first epistle, it will be helpful to see why he now turns his attention to the elders of the church. It's most significant that he doesn't begin this section by addressing the elders directly, but he does it through the congregation. The elders which are among you, he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to the congregation, and he addresses them in that respect. That is important to understand and to see. He's speaking to the elders in their place among the people of God. Prior to this, the apostle has been instructing the Lord's people about many of their moral duties, responsibilities, as they relate to them individually, as they relate to their relationships uh, at work, in this case it was master-slave, uh, updated version is, the, the, uh, the boss and the employee, the relationships at home, husband and wife, and the relationships in society in general. Now, now Peter takes up this matter of, if I can borrow the, the words of Paul to, to Timothy, how they ought to behave themselves in the house of God. So he begins by 
addressing the elders of the church as to their responsibilities toward the members of the church. And then Peter speaks to the church members as to their responsibilities toward their elders and to each other, how they all are to behave themselves in the house of God. It's more than interesting to me that when instructing the elders about their duties, Peter takes up the imagery of a shepherd and not a fisherman. Peter, as best we know, was never a shepherd in the literal sense of the word. He was a fisherman by trade. He spent many years on the Sea of Galilee holding a, a fishing net in his hands, not, not in the green pastures of Galilee holding a shepherd's staff in his hand. Yet you will never find Peter using that imagery from fishing or fish or fishermen to teach any gospel truth in either of his two epistles. But he does speak several times in this first epistle of sheep and shepherds. I don't think that is just a coincidence. I think there was a defining moment in Peter's life that, that changed him and his whole outlook on life and the work of God. It was after Christ, remember, had risen from the dead that he makes, he makes a third appearance to seven of the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias while they had, at Peter's suggestion, gone fishing. There in John 21, Peter says, I go a-fishing. They'd already seen the Lord twice. He'd already set them apart for their work, but Peter says, I go a-fishing. They, seven of them, went with him. It was here that after they had fished all night, because that's when the fishing was done, they had fished all night and hadn't called anything. It's here that Christ, then Jesus came, if I can take that phrase. Then Jesus came. And he stands on the shore and he cries out to them, Children, have ye any meat? John is the one who first recognizes who it is. And he tells Peter, it's the Lord. Peter, in sync with his character, he immediately jumps into the sea to swim to the shore. He's not patient enough to wait for them to row there. They eventually all show up. Of course, you know they had this great catch of fish all pulled to the land by Peter himself. No one helping him. He was really zealous. They sit down with Jesus Christ, those seven disciples, and enjoyed what must have been a very delicious breakfast around a fire of coals. After that meal was over, and they're sitting around, no doubt, talking like we do after a meal, the Lord Jesus looks at Peter and asks that very pointed and searching question. Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Not once, but three times that question is put to Peter. And each time Peter affirms that he loves the Lord, although not using the same Greek word that Christ was using when he asked the question. Still, it was Peter speaking from his heart. You know that I love you. You know all things. And each time Peter answered that question in the affirmative, Christ spoke to this fisherman about lambs and sheep and shepherding, not about fish and fishing, not about being a fisher of men, but about shepherding the sheep and the lambs. It was a defining moment for Peter. 
from that point forward, he saw that his whole life was to be wrapped up in shepherding Christ's sheep. So I say that it's more than interesting to me that he speaks to these elders in those same terms. Years later, he has not forgotten that scene on the seashore of Tiberias. Of course, these Christians to whom Peter was writing were going through very deep waters. The sheep of Christ needed the care, the guidance of the under-shepherds that Christ had placed in the church. They needed them because sheep need shepherds. That's how they're made. Sheep cannot go it on their own. They need shepherds. They needed to be fed to be looked after to be cared for and led by the under-shepherds down the right paths of life. So as Peter comes to a close in this first epistle, he, he instructs these elders in the context of speaking to the congregation. He, he doesn't let the elders forget, you're among them. instructs these elders about their responsibilities to this flock of God. But he also speaks of, of the manner in, in which those responsibilities are to be fulfilled in the church as well as giving them all the motivation that they would ever need to carry out those responsibilities. And those three things will make up my message this morning that is on the subject of the elder's role as the under-shepherd of Christ's sheep. The elder's role as the under-shepherd of Christ's sheep. We will look at their ministry. We will look at the manner in which that ministry is to be carried out. And then we will look finally at the motivation for them to fulfill that ministry that has been given to them. First, let's look at the ministry of the under-shepherds of the church. Peter directs his words very clearly to the elders which were among these Christians in that opening verse. The word elder is the word presbyteros, the word Presbyterian comes from this word. It's used in various ways in the New Testament. Sometimes they refer to those on the council, on the Sanhedrin. They were called the elders. But in the epistles, it's mainly used in reference to those who were, they were in a position of authority, a position of oversight in the church. Sometimes these elders are found under the term bishop, Episcopos, episcopal. The word simply means overseer. And collectively, as presbyters, Paul uses this term in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. He speaks of the laying on of hands of the presbytery to Timothy. The basic word itself speaks of age. Someone who is not young. Not a novice. But an older man. One who has had more life experience. Who's been around the block, we would say, more than once. And therefore more time in walking with the Lord. More time to grow spiritually. 
more time to learn the truths of God's Word. So Peter is exhorting those men in the church who had been set apart by the Holy Spirit first, and then set apart by the election of the people in the church to carry out a specific ministry in the work of God. And what was it? Basically, it was to shepherd the church. To shepherd the church. These are the terms that the Holy Ghost is using to instruct God's people about how they are to behave themselves in the house of God. And they are to behave themselves as sheep, and the elders are to behave themselves as shepherds. That's the relationship being set up here as you come to life in the church. But that shepherding has two prongs to it, as we find out from what he says in verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Now note that. He says to the congregation, the elders who are among you, now he tells them directly, feed the flock of God which is among you. Feed. The broad term that takes in feeding, but it takes in much more than feeding. It means shepherd the flock of God and all that shepherding the flock of God entails. When he says which is among you, the, the point he's driving home, this flock of sheep have been placed in your care. They're with you. And you're with them. The picture from the very get-go is that of a shepherd who cares for his flock, and he shows that he cares for his flock by tending to them, by tending to their needs, so that they will be sheep who are safe, who are strong, who are healthy, who are content, and who are, uh, how, how would I live this, following the great shepherd. That's the big aim. Make sure they're following the great shepherd. I said there's two prongs. First and obvious is that the elders, as far as what their ministry is mainly about, they are to instruct the church. To instruct the church. The shepherd is to lead his sheep into green pastures. That's the imagery of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So the sheep have to have uh, wholesome, wholesome food that will nourish them. And, and Obviously, one of the, the primary duties of the under-shepherd of, of Christ's people is to supply them with a solid, steady diet of instruction from the Word of God. A solid, steady diet of instruction from the Word of God. The fundamental way in which Christians are spiritually nourished. The fundamental way is through God's Word. It's the food and the drink, you can say. But it's God's truth, yes, as it's understood, as it's believed, that has this strengthening, this nourishing, and this uh, sanctifying influence on, on the heart and the will of the Lord's people. That's, that's so critical that they understand, not just that they hear something and, okay, I get the grammar, I get the words, but they need to understand the truth 
How are you going to put your trust and your hope in something that you don't understand? And the Lord in his mercy has set men in the church who do that very thing. They come and they study the scriptures and they bring the, 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 the results of their studies each week to the congregation, to the flock. And they open up the book and they set things down like this, like this, like this. Here is the meaning. Here is the interpretation. Yes, but not only that, here's the application. Here's what this truth means. Here's what you need to understand about not just the doctrine isolated, but what that doctrine actually looks like when it's worked out in the life. It's the follow-up. It's not just appealing to the intellect. That's the role of the shepherd. Christ has given, therefore, to his to his church, his, his flock. In Ephesians 4, Paul calls them pastors and teachers. I have always believed that's one term just describing different aspects of that same office that he's given to the church. And the word for pastors, um, by the way, is the Greek word basic for shepherd. shepherds who teach and they have been given this privilege and this responsibility to explain the Lord's word to expound the Lord's word and to bring it home so that the people of God understand that if you believe this then this, this, and this will necessarily be the consequences in how you live your life. If you understand what's being said, if you believe the truth that's being taught. What will be the effect when the under-shepherds, when the elders do their job, when they're faithful at coming with a steady diet of truth, of Scripture. Well, turn back to that passage I alluded to in Ephesians chapter 4, and you'll see the effects that's going to have upon the church. Ephesians chapter 4. After saying that Christ had given to the church, we'll back up verse 11, and he gave some he gave some to the church these gifts, apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, or shepherd slash teacher. For, here's the purpose, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now he's saying that the Christ has given to the church, yes, apostles, prophets, that, but pastors slash teachers for the perfecting, the maturing of the body of Christ that they might grow up and not be like children who are tossed to and fro by everything that comes down the pike. It's all about spiritual progress, spiritual maturity. And they do that through instruction to the truth. That word for perfecting in Ephesians 4, literally, it means mending. For the mending, well, the saints. It's the exact same word used in Matthew chapter 4, where it speaks of the fishermen were mending their nets. 
that word equipping means the complete furnishing. So the idea here is of completing something that is lacking or mending that which is broken. That's a good description of the Lord's people in any day. There's always a lack that needs to be added to. There's a completion, a completing process that's going on. It'll be brought to pass fully one day when we see Christ and are glorified. But in the meantime, there's, there's always this need for mending. There's always this need to fix something because something is broken. Right? Whether it's in our understanding of some doctrine... Whether it's in how we're living our life, some particular way or what we're doing, there's something that needs fixing. You ever thought about yourself like that as you come into the house of God each Sunday? I am coming here as someone who is broken. There's something that needs fixing in me. It might be fixing, correcting the course that I'm taking. It might be something how I'm thinking in my mind that needs to be fixed. It's off target. It's messing up my living because if I'm not thinking right, I'm not living right. So, the shepherds, the pastors, the elders, their teachers, it doesn't for one moment imply that they don't have things that are broken that need mending. They do because they're, they're sheep too. They're sheep too. Every believer has been placed in the body of Christ to perform a certain role. And every believer has been placed in a church. It's not by accident, it's by divine purpose. And they've been placed there to fulfill a role that's designed for them to fulfill. But you say, every, every one of those placed in the church by Jesus Christ, they, they all need, can I say, we all need a lot of work in order to be able to fulfill that role that we have. No one comes into a church and they are the full package. You get what I mean when I say that? They're not the full package. And, and no, no board of elders, no pastor, no congregation is going to say when some XYZ walks in, this is just what we need. Everything that we need. Utter nonsense. You see the folly then, don't you, of taking people who have just been, they've come to the church for a couple of months and automatically have been put into an office. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. No, we all have things that are broken that need fixing. There's always this need of progressing and learning more. Every believer has certain deficiencies that need to be made up, and every believer has certain things that are out of order that need to be fixed. I know it's hard for all of you who may be plagued with perfectionism to hear that. But it's still the reality. You always have deficiencies that need to be mended. We're not perfect yet. Christ under shepherds have been given this ministry of instructing his sheep that they can grow stronger. They can grow stronger in faith. Right? Stronger in faith. Since it's the life of faith anyway, they really need to be stronger 
when it comes to believing God and trusting the Lord. And he, he, he preaches the truth of the Word of God to that end. Stronger in the grace of Christ. Strong in the Lord. All those are expressions in the New Testament. Strong in faith, strong in the grace of Christ, strong in the Lord. Faithful under shepherds, therefore, will always give, always, if they're faithful, will give preeminence to the Word of God in their ministry. They take, they take their responsibility seriously. The pulpit is sacred territory. It's a sacred thing to take up this book and say, this is the Lord's Word. But he knows that the sheep, as he does that, will be nourished. They will be guided. They will be protected. And they will be cleansed from the faithful instruction of God's truth. Where that does not take place, where that is not the state of things, the sheep will not be nourished and they will not be guided and they will not be protected and they will not be cleansed. If Jesus Christ prayed to his Father, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, my oh my, if they're going, if the sheep are going to be cleansed, it's going to be by a steady diet of the truth of God's word. Not entertaining stories, not jokes one after another. Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul's bidding farewell. His final goodbye to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He says, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's what he told the elders. I commit you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, edify you, make you stronger grow, progress in all the graces of the Holy Spirit. Telling words to me, this, is, this, this was his final goodbye. You'll not see me again, he said. In Colossians 1, 28, Paul said this, referring to Christ, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We're teaching. We're instructing in the truth because we know that will have this effect of perfecting, of maturing everyone in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says, I've given my life to do. He told Timothy, you know the text well, all Scripture is what? Is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You talk about what the Word of God does? When the, when the under-shepherd will but feed the sheep on the truth of God's Word? I'm not going to say anything about the sheep the sheep who will want the green grass the instruction of the word of God so he tells Timothy again preach the word be instant in season out of season. Whether men want to hear it or not. And there will come times when they will not want to hear it. You just keep preaching the word. 
the only doctrine, the only teaching that will truly feed the flock of God is that which comes from God. It doesn't matter how much a preacher can move his congregation with oratory, with his sincerity, with his erudition. If he's going to be a faithful shepherd that will actually edify the body of Christ, then his preaching and his teaching must be firmly grounded in doctrine that has come from the Lord himself. Amen. You see, it's the sheep that are watered and well-fed that are the most contented sheep. They are the ones that are the most protected sheep. They are the ones that are the strongest. And one thing is evident from the New Testament is that in all of this, the, 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 the teaching and the preaching, the instruction of the elders, the focus must always be on the person and the work of Jesus Christ all the time. And all the things that are going to be dealt with in mending and strengthening and teaching and challenging and rebuking, all that's got to be done in the carrying out of the teaching of God's Word, it all must find its way back to Jesus Christ. Always. That's one prong of his ministry. But he also must do something else to be a shepherd. The elders must superintend the church. Again, verse 2, taking the oversight thereof. And so what is involved? This is, this is the Holy Ghost telling these elders, here's your responsibilities. This isn't something you can just take or leave. You have no options here. This is a must. You are to take the oversight thereof. What is the under-shepherd therefore supposed to do? What's that supposed to look like when he takes the oversight? He must watch over the sheep. He must, in watching over the sheep not allow wolves or, or goats to mix with them. Because he knows what the wolves and the goats will do. He must take steps to get rid of them. If he's going to watch over them, it means that the elders have this responsibility to do all within their power to prevent the sheep from going astray. Because that is the tendency, that's the nature of sheep to do that. You know, one of the unique things about sheep is they can't find their way back. You get them a mile or two from their place where they feed, they have no idea. They don't have this instinct like so many animals. You hear about a year later, some dog shows up at his home. Not sheep. They will wander around in circles for hours on end, bleeding the whole time, and they have no idea where home is. They've wandered off. You see why they need a shepherd who's watching over them? And who when they do go astray, he will go after them because he cares for them. If he's truly watching over the sheep, the under-shepherd's going to look after their spiritual health, and when necessary, he will apply the right medicine. 
if he sees that they're sick. I remember one of the children years ago, young, very sick. I remember going to her bedroom and just watching over her. She was sick. That's his ministry. I could spend weeks, I guess, going to all the details, but that's basically it. Feeding them, overseeing them. That brings me to the manner. The important manner in which this ministry is to be carried out by the under-shepherds. Three things that are underscored by Peter. And he sets each one of them in sort of a stark contrast, one to the other. Not this way, but that way. Don't do it like this. Make sure you do it like this. Three things. Verse 2. Not by constraint, but willingly. By constraint means by force. Not because you have to do it, but willingly you do it. It's not, oh, I've got to do this. It's, I gladly do this. I want to do this. I choose to do this. No one's got a gun to my head. It's of my own accord. That's the spirit that... Peter's referring to to be found among the elders. It's not one where there's no that the elder's feet just he's being drug against his will into this ministry of oversight. It's because you really want to do it. The elder must never enter into his office reluctantly wishing it was somebody else but, but, but actually quite, quite ready willing and desirous to shepherd the flock of God in 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 Paul, giving the qualifications for an elder, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. You get the focus on the word desireth? He really wants? To care for, to shepherd the Lord's people. Bishop. Episcopos watching over. You see, the fact of the matter is the Lord loveth, Paul told the Corinthian church, he loveth a cheerful giver. I've told you many a time the word cheerful there, we get our word hilarious from it. A cheerful doesn't give begrudgingly. You know, as our brother Ian will understand, it's not a case of short arms and deep pockets. No. The Lord loves to see His people give cheerfully. Not just, oh, I just can't give this. But you know what else? The Lord loves a cheerful elder. Granted, there can be a strong reluctance to the ministry of the elder. He's called to. But that reluctance arises from his understanding of the sacredness of the work and his own sense of being unfit for the work. Who am I to be an overseer? 
I've got so many things wrong in me that need mending. How in the world can I help mend somebody else? That reluctance, I understand well. I had it when the Lord called me. Unfit to be a pastor of others. Yet because of the work that Christ has done for him and, and, and in him, and because he wants to do all that he can for the Lord and for his work, he is constrained by this love of Christ and therefore willingly takes up the work and plows on with it in spite of all of his fears and all of his deficiencies and all of his weakness. Not by constraint. No one put a gun to my head. You can understand. I understand it. My Spurgeon's advice to those young men who talked about the ministry, call to the ministry. If you can do anything else, you do it. If you can do anything else, because of all the burdens and the heartaches and the sorrows that are part and parcel to overseeing the sheep of God. So there's no gun put to the head. But there was a desire to teach, to preach, to feed the flock of God. A desire that they might see Christ and the love that he has for his sheep and want to follow him all the days of their lives. The second thing, as far as how he's to go about it, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Filthy lucre. You wonder why, why is that being brought up to elders? In the early church, it's evident that all elders received monetary compensation for their labors. It was a paid position. I mean, all, all both teaching and, and ruling elders. All elders are ruling elders, but not all elders are teaching elders. So Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And if you'll put that verse in its context, it's talking about compensation. Double pay. If they rule well. The elders that rule well, double pay. They're worthy of it. Especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So there were elders who were ruling, but there were elders who were ruling and especially laboring in the word and doctrine. That would be the teaching elders. Such obviously was the demand upon their time in the early church that it would have been virtually impossible to carry on their ministry and hold down a separate job. I don't imagine it was uh, a big salary. Just enough to get by on. So you can see why Peter would say that a faithful, a faithful under-shepherd is not going to be in it for the money. Filthy lucre. It's only used here. It's a compound word. First word means disgraceful. The other word means gain. Shameful, disgraceful gain. It's all about this greed or this covetous spirit. I suppose I could preach an entire sermon from this phrase as an expose of these televangelists. You might say, well, preacher, you're being judgmental. Well, I hope I'm just judging righteous judgment when I say they're in it for the money. 
They're in it for the big cars, the big mansions, notoriety, fame, power. They're deceivers. They're not teaching the truth. If they were teaching the truth, this is part of the truth that they teach. But long before there were televangelists, there was a need to remind the elders in Christ's church that they were not doing this work in the church because they were eager to get a paycheck, but because they were eager to serve Christ and care for His sheep. That word... Peter uses and then back to 1 Peter chapter 5 not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind ideas eager eager ready in the sense of not mere willingness that's one thing. We, we pointed that out. Yeah, I, I really want to do this. But it actually underscores the zeal. Not because you're in it to get a paycheck. But you're eager. You're zealous to serve. You're zealous to care for the sheep. Paul states this exact same truth in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1 when dealing with the qualifications for an elder states the exact why do you think that was necessary why did the Holy Spirit three times bring this out was it not a danger then that they'd be found desiring the office well you know it's a paycheck it's a job To many, I fear that ministry <clears throat> its just a job to put food on the table. Or to, to, to get a fancy car, or a, a million dollar home, or the life of a superstar. There's really not going to be a whole lot, if any, of serious study of the Scriptures to find out what God's Word actually teaches. Because that's not what they're interested in. It's getting as easy a life as they can to make as much money as they can with doing as little as possible as far as personal effort and exertion is concerned. And it is a desecration of the office. Peter is not saying... I should point out that the Lord's under-shepherds should live in poverty. That's not a requirement. But he is saying that if it's just a job to you, and it's not a joy, you have no business being in the ministry. No business whatsoever. third thing he says neither as being lords verse 3 neither as being lords over God's heritage but being in samples to the flock Peter refers to the flock here as God's heritage you'll note that the word God's is in italics which means it's not in the original literally those who have been entrusted to you those who have been entrusted to you Heritage. The picture Peter is painting of the elders that they are not to be is that of domineering or dictatorial. Little popes, you might say. Because they view themselves as lords over the Lord's people, they are haughty. In spirit, always making sure that everyone knows that they are in charge. Where you have one, 
you won't find the other. The domineering dictatorial elder cannot be an exemplary elder. And an exemplary elder cannot be a domineering and dictatorial elder. You see, nothing is more becoming to an elder that is there to care for the flock of God, that is there to guide them, that is there to lead them, that is there to feed them. Nothing could more becoming to an elder than a humble, kind, condescending spirit. When I say condescending, I don't mean looking down the nose at. I mean, it's the realization, yes, Christ has placed me in a position of authority. Yes, I am one of the rulers in His church. But I am still a sinner saved by grace. I still have thoughts and feelings. I have no ground to be haughty. No ground to be puffed up. And to think that I am better than somebody else. That makes a good elder. It's very becoming. So nothing is more unbecoming to an elder than overbearing haughtiness. I, I, I said I gotta, if I do my job as I should, I've got to bring you to Christ. There is no greater example of what Peter is dealing with in Jesus Christ. Listen to the Master. John 13, he told his disciples, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. I am your Lord, I am your Master. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. The Lord of glory, the Prince of glory, put on just a towel about his loins and kneeled and washed the filthy, dirty feet of his own creation. Oh, he is Lord, Lord of all. But that was a humble, condescending spirit. That's how it's to be carried out by every elder. It'll never be carried out perfectly. These three things, never perfectly. Perfection's not for now. But at least you strive for it, don't you? Finally, closing, motivation. Motivation. Well, he says, this is God's flock. Listen. You're God's flock. You're the sheep of Christ. And He cares for His sheep. He loves His sheep. He died for these sheep. He's coming again for these sheep. And Peter says, if the Lord looks out for His sheep like that, you who are the under-shepherds, you must look out for His sheep. That's enough motivation, all you'd ever need. I've been entrusted with Christ's sheep. He cares for them. I better make sure I care for them.
But he says in verse 4, When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The crown of glory that was given in the athletic game certainly did fade away. Just a laurel wreath, it died. But you're going to be honored one day by the chief shepherd himself. And that honor will never fade away. That's pretty good motivation, I would say. To take care of the Lord's sheep. May God write his word on our hearts for his name's sake. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will confirm and establish this truth in our souls in ways and means and levels that we've never had before. Grant to thy servants who have been placed in that position to watch over the flock all the spiritual help and grace and wisdom they need to do what the chief shepherd has set them to do. Give us the grace, Lord, to love them and to care, to watch over their souls, to pray for them, to teach them, to keep pointing them to the good shepherd himself. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.